0: I'm Cal Newport, and this is Deep Questions, episode 102. So I'm trying something new with this episode. I'm going to have a guest on, but instead of doing a standard interview where we hear that guest whole story, we are instead going to do a collaborative deep dive on a single topic. This is something I want to try to do more on a regular basis. Have on guests, sometimes the same person again and again, if it's a person that we enjoy hearing from, and just go deep on various topics that I think you might care about. So think of it as a new version of the deep dive, but one in which there's more than one person talking. Now, my idea is when I do these collaborative deep dives interviews, that I'll replace that week the listener call mini episode. So every week we will keep the standard me answering question format on Monday as the foundation for the podcast. And then some weeks we'll have me doing a deep dive with one or more guests, and other weeks that mini episode will be me doing listener calls. So we'll see how this goes, but I think especially as I can bring people into my studio, it's nice to be able to really get into interesting topics and not just have to do standard interviews. So our guinea pig, the very first person trying out this format with us is longtime friend of the show, Brad Stolberg. Brad, you may remember, was interviewed by me for a previous episode. I've also been on his podcast a couple times recently, so if you listen to that, you will have heard me there. This time, though, he was in town, so I brought him into the Deep Work studio, my first in studio conversation, which was fun, and we tackled one topic, which is how do we work less? I think as we come out of the pandemic, especially here in the U.S., this is a question on a lot of people's mind. Am I working too much? Is this what I want my life to be like? Am I too busy? Should I be less busy? Why am I so busy? Am I being coerced into this by economic or cultural oppressors? Did I fall into this arbitrarily? And equally important, what do I do about it? How do I redesign my work life? Should I redesign my work life? How do you try to make big changes for those of you who are looking to make changes in terms of what work feels like? It's a complicated topic, but Brad is a complicated thinker on this. We've talked about this a lot, him and I personally back and forth. So I think it was fun to get into the weeds and do an informal discussion, see if we can make some progress on that question. So, I hope you like this new format. My plan is as I get the studio finished, so get it the redecoration, et cetera, that I'm doing done, to have people come in more often so we can have more of these discussions. All right. So, before we jump in, as always, let me first thank one of the sponsors that makes the show possible. And I am talking about Optimize. Optimize is a subscription network, it's all about helping you learn both the ancient wisdom and modern science needed to live a deeper life. Now, when you sign up for Optimize, you get three things. One, you get access to their collection of over 600 philosophers notes. These are book summaries written of some of the most important and wisdom-packed nonfiction books ever written. These summaries are put together by Brian Johnson, my longtime friend and founder of Optimize. They're excellent. You get in your inbox each morning also a plus one, a short video starring Brian taking one piece of wisdom from these books to help you start off your day right. You can, of course, then follow the links to the corresponding philosopher's notes. And finally, he has a collection of 101 masterclasses where experts teach some of the big ideas covered in these books. I myself, for example, teach Digital Minimalism 101. So if you're looking for a way to allow the internet to help you live deeper, as opposed to using the internet to keep you away from the deep life, Optimize is something you should check out. Go to optimize.me deep to learn more and use the promo code deep if you sign up. If you do so, not only will you get a free two-week trial to see if you like the service, you'll get 10% off if you go on and continue with it. So that's optimize.me deep and use that promo code deep when you sign up. All right, with that, let's get started with my deep dive conversation with Brad Stolberg on the question, how do we work less? Brad, welcome to the Deep Work HQ. It is so great to be here.
1: Um, You've got such a neat space.
0: Yeah, you're going to puncture the fourth wall here, puncture the illusions of my audience that the Deep Work HQ is some massive joe rogan style decorated studio with teams of technicians brad now can see in person sitting here in front of me the reality <laughs> you're in a closet basically
1: i am in a closet but there is a very nice little independent coffee shop next door
0: yes which is what it all comes down to so shout out to tacoma bevco who really should be a sponsor of this show free pub honestly them sponsoring the show would still not cover what i spend there <laughs> basically, even with a really good CPU. It's CPA. like a free,
1: a free product. Now you're sounding like one of these uh, professional athletes.
0: Yeah, exactly. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wear a hat with their logo on it when I'm on, when I'm on video. Well, okay. So, Brad, you're the guinea pig. So the idea is once I can start having people into the studio, instead of just doing straight interviews, you know, tell us about your life, tell us about your book, we could just choose a topic that seems interesting and get into it. And so here's the one I want to bother you about today. Mm-hmm. Do we work too much?
1: Oh man, it depends. Yeah. Which is gonna set us up for a long good conversation. Yeah. So do we work too much? The royal we. Yeah, the royal we, not not Cal and I. Yeah. I think we have to start by defining work, right? Yeah. What are we talking about?
0: Yeah. Well, okay. I mean, let's let's throw out some terms. What busy. This term is under fire. What's your take on busy?
1: Doing stuff for the sake of doing stuff yeah. is just doing stuff. Doing stuff because it is a means to an end that you see is important can be very valuable. And then doing stuff that is an end in and of itself, meaning that you enjoy the act of doing, is the whole point of spending your limited time and energy on this planet.
0: Yeah. I mean, how do we... This is something I've been trying to figure out is why, for example, is being overloaded feel so bad? And at the same time, not doing enough feels so bad. And why, why, aren't we, why don't we understand more basically the human, I don't know if this is a psychology or evolutionary psychology. I think there's something really complicated here that really impacts our day-to-day contentment and we don't really think much about it. I, I don't know if you have any theories on that. I've been trying to figure this out.
1: Yeah. Well, before that, real quick, I'm busy. I think there's a status element too. Yeah. Because I think when you hear someone say, or when you say, oh, like I'm so busy, you're communicating that you're important yeah. because you have all these things going on. And you're also connecting with them on a more human level, which is, oh, I wish I had more time. Don't we all? Yeah. So sometimes people are really that busy. But I think often people are just saying, oh, I'm so busy yeah. to, again, communicate some sort of status. Well, at the same time saying, but I don't like it.
0: Yeah. But is it now? OK, so here's what I, I don't know if I just get ahead of things because it's our my field or if culture has changed. I mean, so this is often the the presentation and some of the books I've been reading on this topic has been, we're also performatively busy. It's, it's like a badge of pride, except for, it seems as if in the circles I'm in, uh, the idea that we're too busy and busyness is bad. seems to be the consensus. And, and so I don't know if like, is that a straw man now? Like, are we all on the same page? Basically like we don't like being busy or is it, these sort of elite circles of people who think a lot about productivity, they've moved on, but this vanguard hasn't yet pulled. I mean, if I'm just out there in an average city talking to an average person, is that it's like, is the storyline accurate anymore?
1: Or is it? Yeah, just in the bubble of people that think about productivity. Yeah. And I think that I don't know the answer. It'd be really interesting to go out and to try to empirically test that. I do think that there is a cadre of people that spend a lot of time on the internet, talking about how terrible it is that everyone's busy and how busy they are, but so much of their busyness must just be tweeting because they're doing it forty times a day.
0: yeah. It so it's it like, are yeah. you
1: really busy? like yeah. you're 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 choosing to be this busy. yeah, um so i don't I don't have a strong take either way. i I think that it's like one of these buzzwords that has such an ambiguous definition and can mean so many things that it's almost useless. So yeah. I come back to that dichotomy of, you're doing something that you don't want to be doing because you feel like you have to or because you actually have to. Yeah. You're doing something because it's a means to an end. And I think some level of that is okay. I think if everything in your life is a means to an end, it's probably not a great path. Or you're doing something because it's an end in itself. Yeah. And if you're busy, like, oh, I'm busy having sex. Okay, that's great. I'm busy lifting weights. I really enjoy lifting weights. I'm busy in a writing groove. Yeah. Great.
0: Unless all three of those things are happening at the same time, and then there's, something, there's something <laughs> yeah, but
1: I think it gets I think it I think it's important because yeah. for you know I only I only give some of these extreme examples because for the woman I'm forgetting her name the immigrant woman that developed the mRNA basis for these COVID vaccines yeah when she was profiled in the New York Times she was a complete lab rat yeah so she would fit the bill of oh I'm always yeah. so busy. But she loved the science and thank goodness that she was so busy. So yeah. I think it's very problematic when we take, again, an ambiguous term and label it as good or bad.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, I think it's a problem that I know that scientist's Twitter handle, but not her name. So <laughs> that, that's something we could unpack for a long time about, about our culture today. I think you're right about that. I mean, I should be clear. I think I think we are too busy and it's a problem. I think, well, however we define the term, I I, I do pick this up. For my readers. You probably pick it up from your clients and your readers. Uh, I, I guess just a change is everyone knows it and hates it now. I mean, I'm wondering if that's, that's what's going on. I throw into the mix of why we're too busy also, uh, because work sucks. Uh, and by work sucks, I mean the way that, you know, we, we actually organize knowledge work today and, and all my typical spiel about unstructured ad hoc improvisational hyperactive hive mind, uh, completely overloads the amount of work on your plate, not because, this is squeezing more productivity you know out of the proletariat drone but because it's just a terribly in, unorganized and haphazard way of actually working it, which is my my twist on it too but it seems I guess my point is everyone seems to know it now and not like it like we're right we're right for solutions
1: I yeah and, and and also I think you know are we working too much I want to ground this conversation in individuals that are knowledge workers have, White collar jobs are our creatives. Yeah. So I think it's a completely different situation for the person that is working, you know, days at McDonald's and nights at the Amazon fulfillment center because they have to be able to pay their rent and put food on the table. Yeah. That person is, yes, that person is too busy, probably too busy to be healthy, perhaps too busy to be happy. Um. My guess is that our readerships and our listenerships generally don't fall into that bucket. Yeah. So we're talking about to like, are we working too much for individuals? that are knowledge workers, white collar workers. doesn't mean you're wealthy. It doesn't mean that you don't have financial pressures, but you're not working very manual jobs that are paying around minimum wage.
0: Yeah, see, I think this is important too because in a lot of the narratives around this issue, and I'm glad there's a lot of narratives now, those two worlds, they'll be mixed together. And I think it complicates things. So, so I'll see this a lot in sort of the discussions about busyness and productivity is that the conversation will start with, you know, white collar city uh, millennial knowledge workers, but then throw in uh, Amazon warehouse workers and mix it together uh, to try to equate the same forces that are pushing the the big hours, which I think are much more economically identifiable and analyzable. And, oh, we can see exactly the capitalist dynamic at play. And if we can get more hours out of an Amazon worker, whatever.
1: It is completely intellectually lazy to conflate those two things. Right. So the around minimum wage worker that's doing rote manual labor is a such a different thing than the knowledge worker. Even if the knowledge worker is making quote unquote only sixty thousand dollars a year, they are they have more autonomy and choice.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and so maybe this is the bigger issue is, you know, I've been a college professor for about a decade now, but I've been in universities my entire adult life, I guess, right? I mean, I never left. And obviously, though it shifted recently, there's a really long thread of analytical tools in university based, comes all the way back from Marx, but sort of these economic materialist arguments to try to understand the relationship between the owners of capital. And you know, Marx started this, but it became a very sophisticated school of thought. I think the the project right now is to try to apply that to knowledge work, and maybe what's going on is it's an uneasy fit. I think it's an
1: uneasy fit, and I think that, and you know, I, to, to cite another intellect came after from came after, excuse me, Marx, but Eric Fromm, right, the humanist psychologist, philosopher, sociologist, he spoke about in the 40s and 50s the personality marketplace, okay, where basically your personality is something that you put out on the marketplace. And to me, when we hear about cultivating a quote unquote personal brand, or when I see some of these tech bros tweeting that, you know, I look on Twitter to hire people and the number one way to get hired is to have a bunch of Twitter followers because that shows that you're important, then technically every minute of your day is developing your personal brand and then everything is working and you always feel busy. So if you're even in more of a traditional workplace, but you think of yourself as you need to respond to that email at night hive mind. It's not just the cultural pressure of work, but, well, my brand is being responsive. And I need to pose for the perfect picture on Instagram because to have capital in my friend group, I need to look really pretty for this picture. That's work. Yeah. So the more that everything, if, if you are treating yourself on a marketplace of personality or having a brand, then technically everything becomes work. Yeah. So I personally in my own life, and I don't, I don't I, this isn't better or worse, it's a choice that I've made. I do have a Twitter account, as you know, Cal. I am public with the things that I, I, I have to be public because I'm a writer, but there are certain areas of my life that I just keep absolutely private because I never want them to feel like work. So any of my strength training, private. I don't post videos. I don't post my training. My family life, totally private. Yeah. Whereas if I did the exact same working out, walking the dog, being with my son, eating dinner, going out to eat, yeah. same restaurant, same amount of time, same energy, but at the end I posted it on social media, or I shared it with colleagues, my guess is the texture of how that feels, it would start to feel a lot more like work. Yeah, and then so, your life is work. Yeah. And then everything is work. And then of course you're working too much because
0: everything is work. But see, this is interesting because- well, Can I say one more thing? Oh, it yeah, It just popped please. into my mind. Please, yeah. Tracking
1: your sleep. Think about that. Like, you know how many oh. people like track and obsess about sleep? And now sleep is
0: work. I refuse to do it.
1: Oh, me too. Because, but literally it makes sleep work. And then sleep is this metric that you have to hit and then you're worried about sleep. So back to everything is work. You have these sleep trackers that upload to the computer and then even your non-waking hours become work. So yes, and and these people are all working too much and they're choosing to. Not only are they choosing to, they're paying to. Those sleep tracking programs are expensive.
0: Yeah, well, and you get the, the, yeah, I have a friend who's been pushing one on me. I said, look, I have a hard enough time with sleep now. If I knew that it was going to be tracked and quantified, I would sleep half as much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How do you sleep?
1: Um, There's but, research there, too, that shows yeah. that when people start using sleep trackers, their sleep quality and quantity goes down, not up.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you're a great sleeper, I guess it's great. You're like, great, I can quantify what I'm doing. Uh, but but everything you're just saying now, abstractly speaking, mm-hmm. is an interesting sort of approach or analytical tool to understand. Like, oh, we need different theories and ideas to understand this current point. So if, from inspired view of the personality market and then how that changes your relationship with the world. Uh, it feels like this is probably what we need is new, more sophisticated application of theories and new theories, because let's take that same outcome of what you're talking about, which is uh, life is performance for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I, I was having some conversations recently. I was talking to a reporter recently who was writing a piece on this, and there's this standard take that the reason why like life has become performative in work is because we've... Uh, internalized uh, capitalist narrative that we should always be producing. Mm-hmm. And, and so like now we're always trying to like produce more output, but it seems like the from approach, like, no, it may be the better way to understand it is there's the, the market right now has shifted in such a way that like personality is commodified or we feel like it's commodified. So it's like a different type of work arose. So it's almost as if there's a new dynamics are needed to understand, just like in the, why do we answer so many emails question? You know, I spent five years writing a book saying, this is really complicated. Uh, the, the reason why I, all I'm doing is answering emails or all a, a normal knowledge workers doing is answering emails. It's not so much, uh, we can't quite put the dynamic of the screws are being put to them and we're getting like, you know, six more box packed out of this worker's shift. It's this whole other complicated philosophy of technological determinism. And these tools came in and it changed the way we worked in an unsupervised way and the autonomy trap and Drucker. And it's interesting. And so maybe that's, maybe that's the meta point we're coming to is, yeah, the and, old and, tools and, might not. The old tools aren't enough.
1: working, and yeah. and it's worth reiterating, and we said it, but I'll say it, you know, even more bluntly: that you cannot conflate the double minimum wage worker that is too busy or working too much with the person that feels like they need to take a really good picture of their veggie burger to put on Instagram is yeah. working too much, and I think that is getting conflated, or even the. Um, The thinkers out there on social media that are constantly writing in their sub stacks 19 times a week about how they're working too much will then try writing 17 times a week and at night, like those are choices. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Which is why, okay, that's interesting. Uh, And and so if there's different explanations, different things going on, that means solutions look different. So when you're, when you're trying to deal with the Amazon worker being exploited, there is a very different toolkit of sort of political action there that's going to make a difference than let's say worried about being too performative. And, and that's actually a different toolkit than how do you worry with email overload as a worker? Because I'm thinking like the difference between my last two books. So like digital minimalism was very individualistic in its, in, in its recommendations. Like to me, the issues that book was getting at, a lot of it had to do with you need to change your philosophy and relationship, the to tools, right? If you're on these phones all the time or this or that, whereas a world without email is much more systemic. All right, organizations need to really get down into their underlying workflows and realize that, okay, we're doing this way too haphazardly and it's you're burning out employees and nothing nothing valuable is being produced. And, and it was a completely different type of prescription. Uh, and they're all kind of under the same umbrella yeah. of like we, we're we busy, I busy. And suppose. I think
1: the individual approach... And I love both your books, as you know. I think digital minimalism in the individual approach is the more practical thing for most people. Yeah, Um, Is our mutual friend, Ezra Klein, told me, um, we were emailing back and forth about your book, that his biggest critique of a world without email is that everybody agrees that the current system is suboptimal. Everyone even agrees that it kind of sucks, but it works good enough. And if a corporation or a big organization feels like that, change is gonna be really slow. But if you're a person and you're like, this kind of sucks, but it's good enough. Yeah. It's a lot there's a lot, it's a lot easier to make that change. Yes. You have more autonomy, more agency. Yeah. Um, it's not to say that they're not both really important books, but I think this is gonna have to start from the ground up. Yeah. Um and I think it has more of an opportunity to, because of COVID and knowledge work changing, where people work, how people work you actually do have more agency to create norms from the ground up. Yeah,
0: except for COVID also exhausted everybody. This, this is what we, we were, hey, was this gonna be good or bad for the book was the question, right? Okay, everyone's gonna be thinking about work and reinventing it or this or that. So maybe it'd be good. But on the flip side, everyone was so overloaded trying to figure out how to work among COVID that the last thing anyone wanted to do was think about right how do I change my work? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but th- th- yeah, that's fair enough. It's easier to be, it's much more likely for an individual to go through a period of like, okay, I'm feeling energized and disciplined. I can make changes in my life than it is for an organization. Yes. To go through a period of disciplined self-change yes. because it's one person versus 30,000 that are spread over 17 offices.
1: A hundred percent. And then the other point to address from from your last, little, um, your last little rant is the performative piece. It can be very performative, but it doesn't even have to be performative. It can be real. And just the act of feeling like you need to capture it and then share it with someone or even just capture it and rate it yourself then makes it feel like work. Yeah. So I think in the, the knowledge worker white collar space, I think it is a lot of people that are choosing to measure, observe, share, track all these elements of their life that feel like they're too busy and they're working too much, where if sleep could just be sleep, if a workout could just be a workout, if dinner could just be dinner perhaps they'd feel differently. And I think that's, again, where digital minimalism is so powerful because if you extend it beyond a smartphone and you start talking about smartwatches and all these tracking things, well, if you wipe all that stuff away, then these very basic parts of human life can return to very basic parts of human life that feel, that have a texture that feels very different than working. And I always go back to the example because I've toyed around. People are always like, you know, you talk about training often on your podcast, why don't you ever post videos? And because I could do the exact same workout, but if I posted a video, the texture of how I'd feel about the situation would just be different Yeah. because I am vain. I would probably reposition the camera. I might do the set again if the rep wasn't perfect. And now suddenly this thing that I love that is private becomes work.
0: So what if, okay, thought experiment, just to try to understand this point, let's say nothing else changed in the world of work, but suddenly everyone became digital minimalist. They all became Cal Newports and stopped doing, let's say, optional performative social media posting so as part of your point is, even if nothing changed about their workday, you would feel qualitatively less busy.
1: Oh, 100%. I've seen yeah. this in executive coaching clients. Oh. I coach a partner at a big law firm in Canada who felt like completely overwhelmed and busy. Yeah. And 20% of that like subjective rating went down when she got off Instagram and her Instagram had nothing to do with the law. Yeah. It was just that like Instagram felt like work. It's like an addiction. And we cut that addiction over time. And it freed up all this time and energy. Huh.
0: And the context shifting cost. Yes. Which which turns out is fatiguing. It, yes. it creates cognitive fatigue. Yeah. Now yeah. is it
1: the only problem? No, of course not. Are, you know, are you gonna tell um a working mom or a working dad that wants to be really involved with their kids' life that is also working sixty hours a week and most of it is deep work and they're shuttling kids to like that person. It so again, like it's white all white collar workers aren't too guilty. This is like the, yeah. the nuance here. Yeah. So we've talked about a specific person yeah. which is kind of um Choosing to engage in all of these things that they think are going to be a benefit, but ultimately is either performative or building this personal brand or measuring because you're like addicted to that, um, that sense of achievement. I go back to sleep because I don't think anyone's sharing their sleep scores on Twitter yet, but maybe, but even it's like an addictive nature. It's like, I need to achieve this. I need to accomplish this goal. If we could just be more often in some areas of our life, then yes, I think if everyone adopted digital minimalism, everyone would immediately feel like they're working less, even if they change nothing about their formal work.
0: Yeah. Okay. So the fact that I don't use any of that and still feel busy mean I got to care about my. So
1: you're in like a different lane of nuance.
0: Yeah. But okay. But okay. So now here's where we'll get your sage advice. All right. Let's I don't say, sage, but let's say you're you're in the fortunate situation. You're it's very standard. You're a millennial knowledge worker. Little overeducated, you know. Have some options. Have some skills. Yeah, uh, you're
1: you're an attorney. You're in finance. You're, you're living a, in a. You're a physician. Maybe you're a creative doing work that we do. You're making. Yeah, you're in
0: LA, a suburb of LA. Yep, like, you're yeah, making over 70k a year. Yeah. Okay, and and let's say you you're coming through the pandemic. The pandemic's winding down. You're feeling man, work has always been a grind. It became more of a grind. I want to do some sort of reset here, right? I want to, okay, you have done things like this in your own life. How could, I'm this person, right? And um, I'm I'm 35, I'm making 170 in my creative job in the suburbs of LA and I'm burnt out. I don't know if you have an answer to this, I'm putting you on the spot. What's the thought process here? Like, should should there be a radical change, a non-radical change? Do you work backwards? Do we all go back to Tim Ferris 2007 and like identify the currencies? Like what, do we sell striped shirts on the internet? Like what's the... uh How do you start that process of all I know is this is grinding me and I'm getting old enough now to be like, I don't want to just be ground. How do you start rethinking radically reshaping work?
1: I have, I have two, um, two approaches that I like to use. Okay. So the first is to identify your core values. So these are the guideposts or the principles that you want to most embody in your life. And when you think of your best self or enjoying life the best, these are the things that you're shooting for. They can be things like creativity, family, intellect, community, spirituality,
0: health. So values, the type of terms you're using are nouns. So think of it like nouns. Yeah, nouns.
1: Yeah. So it starts with a noun. Yeah. And after you identify that value, then you have to define it. Because anyone can come up with cool sounding words and put them on a poster up on your wall, right? So what does health mean to you? What does family mean to you? How do you turn that noun into a verb? Like what is the act of putting family first? What is the act of prioritizing creativity? And then from those definitions that are very intimate and personal, you think about, well, what are the practices? How can I practice this in my day-to-day life is a starting point, Yeah. right? And then you have this list of these are the things that I know that when I do, even if they can be hard to get started on, I feel good and I want to do, these are the ways that I do them. Then the question becomes, okay, how can I start to build a life where I can prioritize these values? Okay. So that's one, that's one basic approach, and we can come back to it. Okay. Another approach is imagine yourself 30 years from now in the future. Again, if you're a 35-year-old, so take your age, plus or minus. But you're 75 to 80. You're sitting in your library. You're sipping on a bourbon or a martini. Maybe you're with your partner. Maybe you're with a grandkid, a kid. And you're kind of looking back on younger you. Well, what kind of younger you do you want to look back on? Yeah. And again, for someone with flexibility, is it the younger you that is just staying in this job because they have to? Is it a younger you that's doing that's staying, quote unquote, really busy because ego is driving you to hold on to a position? Yeah. And um, this is called self-distancing. And the theory there is when we're actually in a situation, we get really close to it emotionally. Yeah. And there's like very little space between the situation and our awareness of it. Yeah. So thoughts, feelings, observations just become us. Yeah. And when you self-distance and you take a view of an older version of you or a friend looking at you, you can create some space between what's happening and your awareness of it. It allows you to think a little bit more clearly.
0: Okay. All right. So can we run through, let's do a scenario. Like let's invent, let's invent a, go with our sample person here. I guess yeah. we'll have to invent some values, but I like this idea. It's a, a partner track attorney, whatever. I don't, I don't know the math very well. Fourth year associate, you know, yep. 180 living in a kind of expensive suburb of LA. Commute's kind of a drag in the pandemic, one kid. Um, all right. Feeling ground. All right. Let's, let's work through this experiment. So what are, I, know, I guess we have to come up with some values here. So like family would be one. Yeah. Um, let's see here, creativity. Let's see. I basically want to work through a scenario. Like, let's walk through Like yeah. what, what someone in this situation might think through and then how it might change their position. Yeah.
1: So, okay. So what are the core values? Like, you tell me. Let's pretend you're the person.
0: Let's do... Um, they don't have to be
1: your core values because now you're not 35 and you're not a lawyer. And But, like, yeah, put yourself in that person's shoes. Okay, let's
0: say it's... Uh, pandemic winding down. So family and community becomes, they're realizing this is more of a value than they thought.
1: And and another piece of context, because I think we're going to try to set this up as like the every person. This is someone that pre-pandemic was kind of feeling busy, but was just pushing. Yes. And the pandemic was like this big time, like, yeah. Shock. Maybe they lost a grandparent. Yeah, they there there's some kind of loss, some kind of change that's making this person think like, whoa. Yeah, like what I was doing is not necessarily what I want to be doing, but I kind of feel stuck and I don't know how to get out.
0: Yeah. Okay. So okay, right. So let's say after that, uh, family community seems more important. So a their own family because they they let's say they have a kid or two and they felt very protective about their yeah. own family. I'm just
1: taking out a notepad to write this down. Cal. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so let's say they feel very protective uh, about that like so being able to support and protect her family but also maybe extended family you know hey i didn't, i didn't get to see my parents for a year like this type of thing and they're they're realizing that's an issue and my parents are getting older um, so
1: then let's define family so yeah. then family as you said it is maybe um time time and energy for my partner and my child yeah and also for um Parents, brothers, and sisters. Yeah. Uh,
0: People close to me that I care about. Great. Yeah.
1: That's a much more concise definition. Time and energy for people close to me that I care about. Yeah.
0: Um, Now, let's say there's an intellectual value here. They were smart. They went to a good law school. It's something that they've got a sharp mind. They like that. They like intellectual challenge. Um, This has been something that the the work of the law was challenging, though it's overwhelming them, but they they like that it's hard and that's interesting and and doing... um, Doing
1: deep work that challenges me. Yeah. Maybe of that's the core. Maybe work. it's called intellectum in the yeah. core of it. And then the defi- definition is doing deep work that challenges me.
0: Yeah. Um, and then and then maybe in the pandemic, let's throw in, they're, they're thinking presence or mindfulness because they had all these forced moments where they were just there and doing something and it was slow and they were around the fire pit or whatever. And they're realizing they didn't normally have much of that in their life. So somehow they now have these images of... Uh, you know, it's the Gilmore girls. You're in the town square. You, you know, you know, the mayor and these quirky and you're kind of just chatting with people. So some notion of
1: community, community,
0: but slowness and presence and maybe being in the wilderness could be it too. But just the sense of, uh, I don't know how to put into a value. I mean, space, space, calm, quiet. Yeah. Like having that, some of that back.
1: Yeah. Let's call it space. Okay. And then let's say, um, time, with no goal or objective.
0: Yeah, yeah. Because they're they're driving all the time, hours trying to rack it up. Driving back and forth to their offices. They're getting their kid to this practice and bringing over this coat. Yeah, that's why I like on. space. Yeah. So
1: it's time with no goal or objective. Yeah, and
0: they got a lot. They got more of that during COVID. Yeah, like last March or something, yep. and, and now they realized. Um, and then
1: let's throw in health because I think a lot of people are rethinking what it means to be healthy, how they need to take care of themselves. Yeah. Um. In in different ways, I know a lot of people that took COVID and took that extra time to really develop a physical practice and get in better shape and prioritize health. And I know people that completely fall off the bandwagon and are yeah. now saying, "Oh my gosh, like I need to get healthy again."
0: Yeah. Okay. So like thirty five means that let's say pre COVID they had, they had kind of known that they had lost their ability to just sort of do whatever they're getting less healthy, and then COVID made it worse. Yeah. Say they yeah. They, so
1: then for health, let's call it um, move my body regularly. Yeah. Um, and attempt. To avoid processed foods. Those are like very basic kind of principles for healthy living.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: Great. And and I think that.
0: But wait, that's a so now we're at an action. So is that like an action? No, that's my definition
1: for health. I Move my body okay. regularly and attempt to avoid processed foods. Okay, I see. And we're... now we're going to get even more concrete. Okay. Because so so the whole point of this exercise, is anyone can come up with values. Anyone can define them, but like now let's make them really concrete. Yeah. So, so I'm then glad for...
0: you wrote it down because I forgot. So yeah. So we're starting with family
1: So okay. family, time, and energy for yeah. people close to me that I care about. Yeah. So. Let's say that one practice is um, computer off, because this person has a young kid, computer off from 6.30 to 8.30. Computer and phone off, okay. right? That's like nuclear family, so concrete, dinner time. We're doing concrete practice. Yep, now. Yeah, putting okay. the kid to bed. I think it is um, call parents for 45 minutes once a week, and then maybe call sibling for 45 minutes once a week.
0: Now, what's interesting about this is that what you're coming up with here, or the approach you've been working on for a while, actually is incredibly congruent with you know, deep questions listeners will know when we talk about the deep life and the deep life buckets, we end up kind of doing something similar. You identify the areas that are important. And then the starting point is a keystone habit in each, okay, so it's a sort of a. a I mean,
1: it makes right like concurrent this more, evolution thing. Yeah, yeah, and like the all the old ancient wisdom, like the Stoics, the Buddhists, the Ta- like everyone's pointing to this. So we're not. Yeah. It's it. It's not surprising that these approaches yeah, run so congruent it's in a line. Yeah, because we're all pointing towards like, what does it mean? To, like, how do you define having a good life? And then how do you take that definition that you intellectually know, and sometimes push against the cultural current yeah. to make it real?
0: Yeah. So so jumping ahead where I usually go, and then now we'll get your expertise, yeah. is the keystone habit. So here's the one thing. Call the parents once a week, 45 minutes. Uh, phone, computer goes off at this time every night. It's in part about signaling to yourself, this is important to me, and I'm willing to make non-trivial sacrifice on behalf of it. Then what comes next is the, okay, now you're going to take some time with each of these buckets, and it may take a whole year to do, and think the bigger questions about overhaul is there a bigger overhaul i need to do to better serve this bucket when you think about this where's that fall like what happens next so like let's say we now our person has a collection of these sort of keystone habits in each of these things which is going to demonstrably improve their life so if i was
1: coaching someone i would never say you know this person then says all right i can't do this being a lawyer what should i do i wouldn't say quit your job tomorrow yeah i'd say all right like then let's rank each of these keystone habits or let's rank each of these practices and then based on the rank, I mean, we're going to try to do them all, but let's do them. And then we're going to see where we fall short and record where we fall short. Yeah. And we're going to figure out how much of a gap is there between you executing, I call them core values. So how much of a gap is there between you practicing your core values and what you're currently doing? Yeah. And how much of that is because quote unquote work is getting in the way. Now, nothing that this person said in this particular instance has anything to do with living in L.A., less families in L.A.,
0: yeah,
1: doesn't have to do with enjoying Hollywood, doesn't have to do with climate or weather. Right. So one question that I have for this person immediately, let's say that they find a lot of friction, is, is there a universe in which more law firms, my understanding are, are hiring remote workers or at least allowing current, even stay at your law firm, is there a universe in which you move to a place with a lower cost of living that allows you to cut back on your billable hours and just do that deep focus work and still have more time for these other buckets in your life.
0: Because the the idea here is, as you go through this analysis and this hypothetical client, it might be they can't even execute the thing they decide for each of these categories because, let's say, just the hours they're working, their commute or something, right? And
1: this is top of mind. I just had a coaching session with this woman in in Canada who is, she's not a 35-year-old millennial. She's, what, 48, 49-year-old partner at a law firm in Canada. She has three kids. She wants to live a values-driven life. She felt completely overwhelmed just another way of saying busy like she's working too much. Yeah, And um, she's already gone down from 100% to 80%. She had this story that financially her family wouldn't be able to survive. And she's like, actually, now I'm confident I can get down to 60% because yeah. I realized like, we don't actually need all this money that we thought that we needed. And the next evolution is her learning that um, she does a lot of work that is not really valued at the firm because it's not billable. So yeah. things like associate development and these sorts of things tend to fall on women like the the kind of like grunt work of the organization because they're caring and she doesn't want to let people down, but she doesn't really like doing it. So, you know, let's call her Rachel. If it's not her real name, it's said like, okay, so Rachel, like, you know what you have to do. You just basically do, like stop the bullshit administrative work and then you can just focus on the billable hours and that's the path that we're on. And this is someone that went from being extremely overwhelmed, as I said, to now someone that feels like they're in a really good vibe. They go camping on the weekends um, just because they lowered the expectation. I mean, how many part, I mean, and I don't know, because I don't know your listenership, but not many people, most partners at big law firms pull in between $600,000 and a million dollars a year. Mm-hmm. Not many people need that to live. Certainly if your values are the ones that you just rattled off, you do not need that to live. Yeah. So some of it is just like the jolt to kind of say, hey, again, these are my values. This is what I'm shooting for. Here's the gap.
0: Yeah. Okay. So like in this example here, like the the easier case when it came to changing the job situation would be here are my values. And let's say we didn't go through them all, but maybe for space, there's going to be taking time. And, and for fitness, there might be like time or not for the health, like time you take in addition to exercising
1: you know. formally yeah. four days a week. And
0: if this person is saying, I just can't, I'm not getting to all of these things. Like I, I miss the eight thirty 30 yeah. bedtimes a lot because um, we have client calls and, and in, you know, whatever in, in Japan and I miss, and I can't get to the work. I got to get up early and I'm commuting and yeah. I miss it a bunch of times. And, and so this would be a, a case where you say, great. Uh, if you changed your working situation, let's say to something that fit within like nine to four or something like that, like, Oh, suddenly all of those things, all those things are possible. What about the situation where let's say you go through this exercise and you have these things. And I I know some people like this, they're very organized, very structured and like, great, they make it fit. But the, so they're doing the things I I'm getting the time for the workout. I stop work at eight 30. Um, I am doing, you know, whatever. Sure. I, I, and they still feel really still, busy. And they still yeah. So how do we well and it's space was miserable. a value? So it'd be yeah. pretty
1: in this case, it'd be pretty hard to do this and execute on space, but let's pretend space wasn't a value. Yeah. So they're still doing everything. Something else I want to say because I, I, I my understanding is that your audience has a lot of students, graduate students. Sure. So like any problem that we're diagnosing, the best medicine is prevention. So if you're someone that's listening and thinking about a career, like the first thing I would say is do not define success financially. Do not define success as some position unless your core values are have the most money or be a partner, but define success based on what are your core values or in Cal Newport speak, what are the components of your deep life and then build everything around that and success is having a life where you get to execute on those things. So that's like the the easy cop out is someone that's not already in the pit. The harder thing is someone that's in the pit but can then get out. And the hardest is what you're saying is someone that's in the pit is doing all this saying, I'm executing my core values, but I still feel terrible because I'm so busy.
0: Yeah. Okay. So then what's, what do we do there?
1: It's tough. Yeah. I mean, I I haven't paused too much in this conversation. I mean, mean, it's
0: just like, look, you're, there's a major part of your life that's making you unhappy. So there's almost, there's two different things going on here. There's the things you value, how do you construct a life to support them, which is what I often talk about. But what I'm thinking about here too, is like, there might be this other component of, hey, you have a thing in your life that's making you unhappy. Mm -hmm. Not just because it gets in the way of corporate, but it just makes you unhappy. You don't like law in this scenario. But I guess maybe that's the easier case in some sense.
1: Well, you don't like law, then it's, how can you, I mean, there's two ways. You do the bare minimum.
0: Or you don't like uh, life at a big firm. You don't like the, I've done some events at law firms and it's, when you talk to the young associates afterwards, they're, some of them are just glassy eyed. It's just, Yeah. It's, and, yeah. And,
1: and, and then I think it's okay. Well, then, like, leave the big law firm if you can. And a lot of people say, well, I can't because I have to pay rent. And in this example, I have this child. So then the question is, like, how much can you job craft so that you like it more? Yeah. And that might, again, it's rejiggering the goals. So. If you don't want to engage in the office politics, bullshit, associate development, this, that, and the other, lunch and learn department meetings, yeah. you don't have to. I know one thing about law firms. If you do the work and you do a good job, you're going to get slapped on the wrist and that's it. So you might not be the head of committee. You might not one day be the managing partner of the practice, yeah. but you can build a pretty good legal practice if all you do is focus on your billable hours. Yeah, Because I know this. My wife's an attorney. Billable hours, I don't know the exact number, but it's not more than 40 hours a week. So what happens is a lot of people get caught up in the political part of being in a big law firm, and what do people think of me, and what's my reputation, and that drives a lot of the time. If you can get really efficient, follow follow the deep, deep, deep work program, the time block planner, and just say, hey, here's how I'm going to stack my billable hours. I'm going to build in space for administrative work, responding to emails, calling back clients. My guess is you can actually do the law in a way that not only takes less time, but is more enjoyable. Yeah. Because very few people dislike working on thorny, challenging legal problems if they went to law school. What they dislike is all the bullshit. Yeah. There's gonna be some minutia. If you're a first year associate, a lot of what you do is just proofread. And that's just a cost of being an attorney. And that doesn't last very long. But as you get older, the stuff that people don't like isn't the challenging legal case, it's the, the, the BS.
0: Yeah, so the job crafting thing seems, that that's an interesting component here too. Because when we do this bucket stuff, here's the deep life, here's the buckets. like one of the big buckets that comes up a lot is craft, we call it. Mm -hmm. because like a lot of people, that's really important. You know, I want to do something hard and impressive and impactful and, and remunerative to the point. I think there's a scoreboard piece to it, but also, uh, like, I want to feel like I'm good at this or uh, it's something mastery. Yeah. The mastery piece of of like self-determination theory, but, but there's probably what I'm hearing here. And I agree with is there's, big element of job crafting that people often leave out where they'll say, okay, I want mastery. It's important to me. I'm good. I want to do well. And therefore they say- I want to be the
1: best partner to law firm I can, but they don't define what that means. Yeah. And you're
0: thinking like, wait a second, you could craft, you know, and we used the the terminology from So Good They Can Ignore You is career capital. You could take this career capital, invest it to try to- That was the whole point of that book is that people use skill to completely craft their job in interesting ways. That's the step that's often- Miss that you can you can then rebuild what you're doing. So this aspect I like intellectually thorny challenges, without all this other stuff I don't like. Okay, it's half the money maybe, but or 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 in the case
1: of a firm, it's not the prestige of being the partner that everybody talks about.
0: Let's take a quick break from my conversation with Brad to thank another one of the sponsors that makes this show possible, and I am talking about public goods. Now, Public Goods is the one-stop shop for sustainable, high-quality, everyday essentials made from clean ingredients and sold at an affordable price. So Public Goods sells everything from coffee to toilet paper to shampoo to pet foods. Public Goods is trying to be your new everything store thoughtfully designed for the new conscious consumer. Now, it's that thoughtful design part that I extra appreciate. The packaging looks great, and we really shouldn't underestimate that importance, I have, for example, some public goods hand soap. That's good soap, clean sourced, affordable price, but the packaging looks great. So I brought it out here to my Deep Work HQ and immediately gives me a little splash of class. If you shop for your staples from public goods, you'll get that splash of class, that design sense in many different things within your house. You know, I probably should have asked Brad about this while he was here if he was impressed By the public goods soap in my bathroom. I am assuming he is. He probably now thinks much higher about me because of that, but really is great looking products. So, the good news is I've worked out a deal just for my listeners. Receive $15 off your first public goods order with no minimum purchase. That's right. They are so confident that you will absolutely love their products and come back again and again that they are giving you $15 to spend on that first purchase. So, you have nothing to lose. Just go to publicgoods.com slash deep or use the code DEEP at checkout. That is P-U-B-L-I-C-G-O-O-D-S dot com forward slash DEEP to receive $15 off your first order. I also want to talk about My Body Tutor. If you are coming out of the pandemic and you're thinking, hmm, my health or fitness could be better, Maybe it slipped a little bit as I was stuck at home in those sweatpants, eating and drinking away my anxiety. If you were looking to get back in shape, this is the way to do it. Here's how it works. When you sign up for My Body Tutor, you are assigned a online coach. This coach is gonna help you figure out your eating plan. They're gonna help you figure out your exercise plan. Now it's not that there's magic information there they have that can't be found elsewhere. The real secret sauce comes in the accountability. You then use this very easy to operate app to report back to your coach every day. That's what I ate. Here's the exercise I did. And you get feedback from that coach. That simple accountability loop makes all of the difference, right? This is A, how you actually stick to the things you know you need to do, but B, it's how you figure out, oh, this is unsustainable. And you find that alternative that is sustainable. Your coach is like a partner. They get you to where you want to be. This is significantly more effective than just trying to white knuckle it yourself right so I think Adam Gilbert my longtime friend who runs my body tutor is really on to something with the service It's why they've been around since at least 2007 when I first met Adam they're very popular because it works if you mention deep questions when you sign up you will get $50 off your first month say hi to Adam for me when you do sign up so that's $50 off your first month if you mention me and the deep questions podcast when you sign up and now back to my conversation with Brad Stolberg. That's hard, though. Well, so, so, of prestige but, is hard but... and, lo- and money is hard. So how do we deal with the money aspect? Because there's a, it, it's associated, it, I mean, it's easy to dismiss, right? If, like there's more than life to money. People often, you know, uh, will, will miscite the, whoever did the research on after the set point of $70,000, you don't get happier anymore. I don't know if that was Angus Deacon or Kahneman. Kahneman did that. Yeah. Okay. Actually, it turns out if you look at that research, it's not so simple. If you ask the question another way, it actually could people. This is in my to, forthcoming yeah. book. The okay. research
1: there is mixed. Yeah. So it's very much based on how you ask uh, the questions. Because there's
0: stress reduction. There's options. I think during the pandemic, if you had some extra money, it was very helpful. Uh, you feel like, okay, but there's also dimension. So that's all complicated. Yes. So then that, that's something I, you have to work that out. I mean, is, now, is there something like a minimum number? Is that the way to do well, it? That, well, that's yeah. what
1: Kahneman was getting to. So that, like, the way that I treat that research in my forthcoming book is exactly that. I don't know if it's 60,000, 75,000, 80,000, 100,000. I do firmly believe that there is amount of money that allows you to meet your basic needs, have what feels like safety to you, and live a good life. And I do not think that's over hundred. for most people. Now, if you live in downtown Manhattan, it might be. And then, well, now there are questions about core values. Is your, is like, why do you live in Manhattan if you don't have to, especially now at a time when so many places are more open to people working remote? Yeah. Something that can just take so much pressure out of the valve is just moving to a place that's a lower cost of living, unless you really value being in a place that's a higher cost of living. Yeah, I am biased because my family recently moved from Oakland to Asheville. This was yeah. a decision we actually made pre-pandemic, but for this reason. But it was a
0: blank slate decision, right? Which I think is interesting. It was, it, we could go It was, we, could go, we could go anywhere. Yeah.
1: The, the driving forces were my wife's family's in DC. She wanted to be closer to her family. Yeah, She's an attorney. She did not want to be a partner. So some of these examples hit close to home. So it's a place where she wouldn't have to be a partner at a law firm, but could still do interesting work. And it's a place where I could continue writing and coaching and yes. feel like even if a book flops, I'll be financially okay. Yeah, but also- and it uh, wasn't going to happen in the Bay Area.
0: Good community, yep. outdoor Yep, stuff. Publ- public it, schools,
1: because we didn't want to pay for private school. A
0: pace of life that was more... I mean, it was very intentional. Yep. Yeah.
1: Um, and we found a place like that. And some people... But there were real sacrifices. I left like my two best friends in the world in Oakland. Yeah. I left a very um, good routine. Like, so so there, it, there's no free lunch.
0: Yeah.
1: And I think that back to that defining the floor of what you actually need financially, not what you think you need, but what will allow you to live your core values. If one of your core values is adventure travel and you want to go to safari in South Africa every year, then you need a lot more money and that's totally fine. So there's nothing wrong with having more money. Yeah. It's just that we have this default scoreboard of prestige, title, and money And those can be completely separate from someone's core values and what actually makes them happy and feel fulfilled.
0: Yeah, it's the Diamondbacks effect. I call it. Yeah. (laughs) Because because for professional athletes, fans are often baffled. Like we, you love it here. We love you. We love you. You love it here. Uh, Going from three hundred million to three hundred thirty million to you know go from here to Arizona. Like who cares? But for the athletes, it's the back of the baseball card. Yep. If my lifetime average is 319 versus 305 is a big deal. If my deal was 330 versus 305, that means I was That's here. their scorecard. That's my scorecard. Yeah. Uh, except for people don't have, most people don't have baseball cards. Like most people actually aren't going uh, to. So, okay. That's interesting. Um, so having a number uh, and not, so you understand, here's my values and my picture of my life. I sometimes call it lifestyle center career planning. Like it's really mm-hmm. vivid. You're really imagining like the things and what a day looks like and like what's valuable and you figure out what that means and i like the the idea that look that could be expensive by people's standards right just no yeah, yeah. like the the uh, the rabbit hole i go down these aspirational rabbit holes right where, where i hook up onto the stories of individual people and then i research them too much and just find out about their lives and so i've been going down a sebastian junger rabbit hole
1: oh yeah what a neat guy did uh, you're familiar with his near-death experience i just heard about it yeah, yeah. wild yeah, but yeah. anyways he's a he's a neat dude yeah
0: but so he lives in uh new york and i think co-owns a bar there okay. uh, even though he doesn't drink which is interesting but he also, his family used to always vacation in Truro, Truro, I might be saying this wrong, Cape Cod, okay, which is upper peninsula right below Provincetown. It's far away from the sort of compounds and kind of rich people stuff. And it's uh, off the beaten track. If you're driving by on the one highway on Cape Cod, you just see roadside stands, but there's these, and it's a community with a lot of artists and writers. And they spend a lot of time there in this house. It's not on the water or anything, but it's down a long road. It's where he had his near-death experience. It's in mm. the woods and it's quiet and you can hear it and you can bite to the ocean in the bay. And, and, uh, and he spends a lot of time there with his family and they write and he writes there and then he goes back and forth to the city or something. And that could be an incredibly aspirational image for someone like this is what I would love this life or kind of in a city kind of in the countryside or whatever. That's going to take more money. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not going to take a ton of money. It's not like, okay, I need to make unlimited money. I don't think, you know, Junger is not, is the opposite of someone who's trying to maximize his uh, income as a writer. But it's an example of a vision like, okay, well, that's going to be more than the Thoreau experiment of like, in theory, I could be a writer living incredibly cheaply in Birmingham and I found out or whatever, right? But it's not crazy. So the number, I guess the point is the number could be higher or lower. Yeah, and it's completely the values vision. neutral. The, yeah. I
1: think that the issue is, when, they're, when people are chasing the number and not the values. Yeah. And that's where you have this friction of just, like you said, feeling miserable whether you're working too much
0: or not. Yeah. And, and Junger's an example of someone who, he had a big score with The Perfect Storm, mm-hmm. which is because I went down the research rabbit hole. Not surprisingly, this house was bought.
1: After that book. One in a year
0: a half after that book. <laughs> went big. Uh, but since then he has not been income maximizing. He kind of just writes what he's interested in and there'll be long gaps. He did a lot of time doing wanting to go and report on Afghanistan and doing Restrepo and the books he did there. And he came back and wrote tribe. And tribe Freedom. was a good book. Tribe was a good book. Yeah. But these are not, um,
1: you know, life changing. He's not on yeah. the speaking
0: circuit. He doesn't yeah. have a, you know, a podcast, you know, which I'm looking at us on two microphones here thinking about Cape Cod. Uh, but it's interesting, right? So it was, it's not a cheap thing to do, but it was, he's like, you know, I had one hit book. that was just enough to probably make this reasonable. And if I stay writing books, I like, and it just all kind of, I don't know what his wife does, but it just kind of works out and it's cool. So that's, it's, so I think this is, there's something to this of figuring out.
1: And here's another yeah. layer that I think is worth pointing out. I think that creative people. And I'm going to put Sebastian Younger in that bucket. So people that make an income with very little organizational help, you're a writer, you're an artist, you're a musician, yeah. I think there, there is a lot of how do you react after the first thing does really well? Because there's a lot of path dependence, right? So do you buy the big house and then suddenly you're paying the mortgage? Or do you say like, great, I'm going to put all this in the bank. So if the next 10 things flop, I'm fine.
0: A lot of writers do the latter.
1: <laughs> yeah, which is I, smart. I, I, I won't I mention
0: his name. I know a writer who has made a lot of money. Right, and and to the defiance of all of his financial advisors, the very first thing he did is like, I want to make sure that like where I live is like paid down to the dime, so that if all the money goes away, I have no mortgage and I have no debt or whatever. And I'm like, ah, man, that money's not going away. But but I get it. <laughs> We're all refugees. We're all we all uh, not all, but I think. This is the thing about writers. Like, if we have a hit, like I don't trust that's ever gonna. Yeah, happen we're very again. fatalistic. Yeah. Let's pay down all the debt, and I'm, I'm probably soon going to be, you know, kicked out of the country because. We're and I think
1: the more go. traditional workplace professional is often caught up in like some kind of professional keeping up with the Joneses. I think that is 100%. real. Yeah. And I think that if you just have the guts and the courage to opt out and say, nope, I don't need this, and have your scorecard and how you judge yourself not be where you stack up in the firm, or are you a VP or a manager, but be, hey, am I am I living in alignment with these values? Then that gives you a lot of freedom to make decisions that are values maximizing.
0: Yeah, I can get, I was talking to a DC lawyer friend, DC lawyer, big city lawyering, it's hard. as you know, It, it's almost impossible that he was telling me about this um,
1: but it's not because once my wife, and I hope, I hope she's not listening. She you, doesn't listen to anything. right? If you stay in the area. Yes. But even if you do, once my wife decided that she could care less about being a partner, she just liked doing the work and she didn't really care what anyone at the firm thought of her. She just wanted to do a good job. Work became very easy because she just stopped responding to emails about all the BS. Well, that's
0: inspiring. But see, that's inspiring because the, the way he was telling me about it was like, it's, it's like, it's so hard because here's what happened. It's the the cultural pressure of like, oh, you're driving, you're still driving the, uh, still driving the odyssey. Hey, you know, and you're like, oh, you yeah, they should have the whatever, you know, SUV, whatever. Oh, your, your kids are in the, the, the public school, you know, just come show you Georgetown prep. Like, you know, they, it's a nicer campus than Georgetown university and you don't have a second house and you don't, and, and you're living over there not here. And, and in the end he was like, okay, the, uh, I don't know the terminology uh, because maybe just the situation your wife is in, but the, like the non-partner specialist. So the sort of the yeah, um, council track, council track, right. And he was telling like, at a, he's at a big firm in DC and he's like, yeah, our council track people there, they make like 600,000 a year. And he's like, they can't make ends meet. And he was walking me through the math of it too. He's like, yeah, there's three kids and these private schools. And then these two houses and these, whatever. And it just, boom, you know, goes away. Uh, but on the same time at here where I live, which is not the fancy part of Maryland. So that's already yeah.
1: one choice, yeah. not the fancy part. And we, you I, don't I, have two houses.
0: And we know a law partner who it is, uh, from what I understand, is considered odd that he lives here because it's not the fancy part of D.C. Where the, where, where the law partners live or what have you. And um, but I don't know, seems like a happy guy to his partners because I met one of the other partners in his firm.
1: And so they, this they is think where this maybe... whole town
0: is quirky and weird that anyone would even live here they right. had a choice. So, yeah.
1: So this is where I,
0: I'm just gossiping basically now. This is what, and,
1: and, <laughs> and maybe, maybe this is like, I don't know, this isn't appropriate, but this is where I just throw up middle fingers. So I'm like, a few, a few, a few, like I'm happily married. I yeah. walk my dog for an hour a day. Yeah. I drive a beat down CRV and yeah. life is great. And like, here's my book. It speaks for itself. So to the attorney, it's like, here's my work. It speaks for itself. Yeah. And in the more that we chase into the writer, it could be like, oh, I don't need to have a million Twitter followers. Here's my work. It speaks for itself. Yeah. So I think that, again, we often chase indicators of so-called success that aren't the success that we want. The success that we want is often, a, sound like a broken record, understanding our values, doing what we can to craft our work in our life in alignment with those values. And there will be busy seasons. Getting back to the original question of, are we working too much? There's a a level of acceptance too. If you've got two kids under five and you're at a key juncture in your career, then guess what? You might not have time to train for an hour a day and meditate for an hour a day. And part of your issue might be that your expectations are way too high. And I think what often happens, and I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, but I know we can rant on this podcast.
0: Yeah, no no one's listening. You're so, good. <laughs> you're in the clear. <laughs>
1: my rant is, is this. So many of the white collar folks that bitch about being too busy have no right to bitch about being too busy. They are making a choice. There are trade-offs in life. You can't drink your kombucha and be a partner at the law firm and have two kids and qualify for Iron Man Hawaii. Yeah. And that's why I think the Amazon stuff gets conflated because it makes them feel better about their situation. Whereas the Amazon worker, if it's bitching about being too busy, has every right to bitch about being, being too screwed. busy. Yeah. And they're not because they don't have the platform because they don't have the time to sit on Twitter all day and bitch about how busy they are. Yeah. So it's like the loudest people complaining about how busy they are, are often causing this to themselves. And it's completely masking the real issue, which is the people that are truly so busy that don't have time to have these conversations about how busy they are.
0: Yeah. I Okay. I take that. I agree with that. Yeah. And so if you're feeling that way, for example, like, okay, what have I learned? I've learned I don't like this feeling great. That's a catalyst for action, mm-hmm. uh, which, which also if if I'll add my addendum to the rant is it's why I've been somewhat critical recently about it is uh, maybe intellectually enjoyable or status seeking to throw sort of large theoretical frameworks at issues whose, you know, only actual way to take action on is in the end to completely change the nature of the economy or whatever. Um, But how is that helping anybody? right you know it's like okay here's the other yeah the other observation my, away from my this, like, brother yeah.
1: calls this intellectual masturbation yeah
0: which is which is <laughs> by the way is an academic that's literally our job i mean we're professional intellectual <laughs> masturbators <laughs> so it's what we're it's what we're paid to do um but we have like a whole culture around how it works we, we mainly keep it confined to these journals and it's all just sort of internal facing i guess uh twitter allows you to have larger audiences but yeah like okay busyness this feels bad. And I think, again, this is pretty universal. I think it's become more of a straw man, this idea that like, oh, everyone is lionizing busyness. And I'm so insightful for pointing out that like maybe that's not so good. It's like no one's lionized anymore. Like everyone's yeah. complaining about it, right? It's just trying to figure out why. But if, if you know it's negative, it's like, okay, what are our options here?
1: And are you uh, actually busy or just hit your job? And this is back where, yeah. again, like we have to get a little bit like our our to quote Robert Persig who was in the art of motorcycle maintenance, like our knife has to be a little bit sharper as we make these cuts to do any kind of good analysis. Yes.
0: And embracing that sophistication, I think is important. I mean, this is the why I for so long railed against just telling like young people follow your passion, for example, this is such complicated stuff, crafting a life, but yes, this is all mixed together. So to summarize some of the things we said, sometimes the issue is it's not that the content of your job you hate it's that it's, it's taking away time from other things that are important, so the life is out of uh, balance. I don't want to use balance in the trite way. I want to use it in the way of, of, yep, of our of, harmony. Uh, a harmony with you have these different things that are important that you want to build a good life out of. Sometimes it's a mix. There's elements of this job I really enjoy. There's also el- other elements that are making it a real drag, and I really don't like those. And and then there's the 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 complications of money and prestige. So money, like okay, I need to figure out how to have about this much money realistically uh, to be in harmony in a way that I'm imagining. And then there's the prestige issue of how big of an ego hit can I? am I willing to take? How much am I gonna feel like I'm falling short of my potential and all of that's complicated.
1: And so much of my executive coaching work is giving people permission not to chase those last two things. So not to chase money and prestige. Yeah, And literally like going through this with them and taking responsibility. Like if you lose your house, I'll feel really bad. You can blame it on me. If suddenly you wake up one day and you have existential distress because of your ego hit, we'll talk about that. You can blame it on me. Yeah. And everyone freaks out for two weeks and then they come back to me and they're like, oh my gosh, the biggest weight is lifted off my shoulder now that I'm not chasing you know, this 24-carat diamond instead of just the 20-carat diamond. And this is true even for people that are going from 100K to 120K. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I I I really think that's an yeah. important thing to point out. So
0: you you have to pull these bits apart.
1: And then there's the expectation piece too, which is sometimes people are just have expectations that have outer outer excuse me that are out of alignment with reality. If you choose to have a child in an intense time in your career, yeah. you will not regret it because most people most people don't regret it because you look back you have this beautiful child. But those two years might be hell. Yeah, and if you know that and have that expectation going in then there's a lot of research that shows that your happiness is a function of expectations and reality. So I think some of it is that you can't have your cake and eat it too. Yeah. And I think where the discourse, especially on the internet, is so polarizing is there's the tough guy, you can't have your cake and eat it too. All these millennials are just complaining. And there's the capitalism. Everything about capitalism is broken. Yeah. You know, these millennials are overworked. Nothing is their fault. And like most nuanced topics, it's neither nor.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it, it, uh, culture shifts in complex ways and then you have to react to it and the reaction is complicated. I mean, the baby boomers had to go, baby boomers had like a terribly complicated, well, so did their parents. The greatest, okay, the greatest generation had, a war, war to fight but then also a whole new configuration of culture where we're like okay we live in suburbs and this is very different and we're not multi-generational anymore in, in the in the same townhouse that my grandfather owned and so we have to figure out like how this yeah, works i think
1: that generally speaking we're not farming anymore. unless you're an academic that really studies generational differences i think all the banter on generational stuff it's just intellectually lazy Every yeah. generation has good people. Every generation has bad people.
0: But it is true the cultural challenges just because yes. it, it shifts. So like the yeah, it is not. It's yeah, the idea that somehow like baby boomers ruined everything
1: for everyone. That, I, don't I never think got so. that.
0: I guess I, uh, I hear I'm that not a lot. On, I'm not online enough. You'll have to explain this to me. There's like a lot of boomer hate going on out there. Why I, I saw but I, I'm not online enough to know why. I don't I don't get that. What do they do something bad?
1: That's I mean funny. I don't want to get political, but it starts with a T and ends with an ump. Oh, yeah. If you okay. look at how people vote.
0: but yeah, I see. Um, that's a lot of people's opinion. <laughs> I see. I see. So that that that's associated. Okay, so that's on them. Uh, but yeah, the cultural challenges change, right? And so, uh, yeah, the grace generation had to figure out this whole new like social hierarchy and dynamic, and the baby boomers had to do something completely different because there was a lot of, that wasn't sustainable in the way it was. The economy was changing. There was these shifts to whatever. Uh, we skipped Gen X because, you know, they're not big enough. <laughs> yeah. Let's get right to us, the millennials. And- Um, yeah, uh, and then, yeah, so you're right. There's different cultural challenges, which means we need very sophisticated responses. Um, right. And I just keep,
1: and I'm going to, I'm just going to totally non sequitur because I keep coming back to this thought and it's what this conversation has really helped me to clarify for in my own thinking. And there is additional layers of nuance, but generally speaking, it's the people that are actually overworked and too busy that have no time to even realize that they're overworked and too busy. And it's everybody else that is navel gazing and virtue signaling that actually does have some choice and will have to face hard trade offs. Yeah. And the truly overworked double minimum wage people, they don't have trade offs. They don't yeah. have a choice. Yeah. So to the attorney making six hundred thousand dollars, you're not working at Burger King during the day in the post office overnight.
0: Yeah. Or or the the, the ER doc who's too busy to think about it because they have COVID patients filling the hallways. Yeah. Yep. They and, also don't have time. Or the the the, right. the, the soldier, you know, you're the special ops guy that's been deployed to whatever and like, yeah i don't have time to yeah
1: yep and i'm, I'm i it, i mean i have my best friends a physician my brother's a physician but i always do carve out physicians because i think they're the one highly paid profession that is still on balance and many specialties are underpaid yeah especially residents i think residents should unionize but that's a total tangent
0: yeah 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 my sister just came off that a few years ago it's yeah.
1: terrible you make like forty five thousand dollars a year to work 80 hours a week yeah and doing do very skilled decisions job. that are.
0: Yeah. 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 Do the very skilled job. Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. I hope that this has been, I hope this is helpful. I, I know we kind of got away from your initial question.
0: No, but, it all ties though. Right. I mean, like, I think, but I
1: think the first thing yeah. for the, for the individual listener saying I'm too busy or we're working too much. I think the first thing is to, to, to separate those three buckets. Am I doing stuff because I have to? And then test that assumption. Do I really have to do this or is it just inertia? Mm-hmm. Then the second bucket is, is I, am I doing this because it's a mean to an end? And then the question is, how much do I care about the end? And if my whole life is a means to an end, that's not good.
0: Yeah.
1: And then the third question is, am I doing this because I enjoy it? And if I am, then the feeling of working too much, you're probably not actually working too much. Now, sometimes your eyes can be bigger than your stomach, and you can enjoy all the food while you're eating it, but afterwards you're like, "Oh my gosh, there wasn't any space in my day." Yeah. And as you pointed out, the best feedback there is how you feel. Like your mind-body system will tell you if you're feeling totally overwhelmed. Yeah. Great. And that person doesn't need any major life overhaul. They might just need to cut back at the margins. Yeah. And then the second big thing that we discussed was changing the metric of success away from ego attachment, title, brand, personality mark. Uh, excuse me, personality marketplace salary to, hey, what are my core values or what are these keystone habits that I really want to prioritize in my life? First, how can I job craft to do it? And most knowledge workers can. Yeah. Everyone that comes to me for coaching tells me that they can't. And six months later, they've all done it. Like yeah. I've never had someone just quit their job and start a podcast. Yeah. I actually advise against that because yeah. generally that doesn't work. Or B, if you can't, then how do you slowly transition to something that makes more sense?
0: Yeah. Okay. I like that. It's complicated. I'm thinking out loud here, but that makes sense. I so I'm gonna now I'm gonna reword it my, yeah, my take is on interesting. it. Great. Yeah so now we have the, the frameworks. So now the way I'm thinking about it is okay, you figure out the parts of your life that are important, like what I would call the, the the buckets, what the values are. Maybe you even you have the keystone actions in each, like these are things I always want to do, but also maybe a broader vision, aspirational vision of what a life of harmony would look like. That should and could include craft and craft could include some notion of prestige in the sense of I wanna be, whatever, I wanna be producing things that are important, I wanna be respected in my field or this or that. I think prestige we, often is separated from, the things that produce prestige are often separated from busyness. Like actually doing a lot less is probably, is usually the best route if you wanted to maximize prestige. I mean like the very best scientists do nothing but think about like one problem different subject. Right.
1: I I was just going to say, I I struggle personally with prestige being the end. I think prestige is a byproduct of mastery.
0: So, okay. So this is a, this is an interesting distinction we should make. Yeah. So, so you're saying don't, when thinking about, let's say this craft bucket, um, the craft is mastery. Think of it as you would say, think of it as mastery. I'm, I'm doing something at a high level and I'm proud of my skill and like what I'm able to produce. Uh, prestige is a side product don't get caught up into not a side product to
1: byproduct you'll get the prestige and, if and you're lo- focused on mastery and
0: non-linearly it might be not as much as you think and this guy over here gets a much more because of uh, some some random yeah.
1: thing and then six years later it switches right. whereas if you're right. just focused on the craft yeah
0: um, it's like all the all the, the ra- journalists where like wait a second this journalist is his topic just was well-suited for COVID and now they're very famous and getting all this prestige, but we were working just as hard and why is my beat on, um, right. you know- uh, some an example
1: uh, that I use in the groundedness book that's coming out later this year is Tanahashi Coates. Everyone knows his name, phenomenal journalist, writer, he worked like a dog for 16 years writing great stuff. Yeah. And I don't know the reasons why, but no one noticed. Yeah. In his quote unquote break overnight breakthrough, he was between 38 and 42. Yeah. He was focused on mastery. If he was focused on prestige, he would have quit.
0: Yeah. Okay. So then and then two fall so then because I'm trying to systematize everything. Um when thinking about how to then reshape or craft your life to fit that harmonious image, this was something I I riffed on the podcast the other day, but maybe we can apply it here is that there's a few factors that matter there. I mean, you have to think about the role of uh, location, the role of autonomy, the role of money, right? So like roughly speaking, what combinations of like where I live, because that often plays a big role, especially like with family and, and space or outside, there's a lot of values for which that plays a big role. What role does that play? What role does autonomy play? Like how much autonomy I need over my time to execute this? And then what's like the income level to, to make this happen to afford, you know, to have the house in Cape Cod I go to. And now you're like, there's various combinations of these three things that makes this possible. Let's start crafting and figuring out. And then the final part I'm going to throw in, because I'd love to make things too complicated, because that's what I do, is that crafting is not always just the, this is like the, the, the Coates example. It's not just the rearrangement of pieces. It also is sometimes... Okay, I see how I could get those. I can't do this today, but if I did got here, I could do it. If I got if it's gonna take me about five years, and that of to focus me falls work. under yeah.
1: aligning expectations with reality. Yeah. Cause so. if you expect to be at A now, but any reasonable person would say, Hey, you can get to A, but it's gonna take five years. Yeah. Then for those five years, you'll be a lot less miserable if you say, All right, these five years I am gonna feel overworked and busy. But there's an end date, and if things don't start to change as I approach that end date, then perhaps I have to make more dramatic shifts.
0: Yeah, so if, if book writing's involved in this or something, it, it could take about a decade sometimes. It took me about a decade to get good enough at book writing to, to try to integrate it as a blah, blah, blah. I think blah. being
1: a dad is an example. Yeah. I don't know very many dads that love zero to two years. Yeah. And if you think you're going to love that, I got this advice from another writer named Adam Alter. He told me that, and I hope Adam, I hope your partner's not listening, but Adam told me if you think you're I gonna want a
0: divorce, that's what he told you. Oh, if Adam. you
1: think <laughs> you're gonna love zero to two years, yeah. you're gonna be miserable and you're gonna be judging yourself for why you don't. Yeah. If you understand that, hey, if you're in a, um, a heterosexual marriage and your wife's got all these hormones and it's a whole different ball game, and she can love the crap out of the baby and ignore you, and you can be like, "What the hell did I just do? How do I send this thing back?" If that's your expectation, you get through two years, yeah. and then the kid turns two and a half and three, and they're your best friend in the world, yeah. and life is great. Yeah. And I took that, and that was my experience. But it was much easier because yeah. I didn't expect to love the first two years. And now my kid's like my best friend in the world.
0: Yeah, it's the baseball threshold. Like yeah. once you can start playing yeah. catch. Yeah, so that's it's a very, very extreme example. Yeah. But
1: I think that 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 aligning expectations to reality does apply. And I'm, yeah. again, We're I don't want
0: grad students have this sometime in a lot of fields. Writers uh, have this. Writers have it all. the time. But also, okay, then the final, the, the needlessly complicate this all. Uh, um, but it's important to differentiate. Okay, there the zero to two period, the period of like, oh, I have to build this skill to make this very carefully crafted vision become a reality. That itself is not necessarily negative affect because there's a difference between hard work and hard to do work. There's a real distinction between maybe I'm really busy and overwhelmed and not doing things I'm important at versus I have to write. I write every day and I focus on it maybe just for an hour and a half. It's not like this is, it's taking up all my time, but I'm just doing the work and it's sort of just it's hard, like in the moment. It's hard, though. It's fulfilling to see your skills get better. That, that you don't have to conflate mm-hmm. the acquisition of what you need to build the image with uh, your life is going to be overwhelming or busy. And it's one of my earlier essays I ever wrote was about hard work versus hard to do work. Yeah, and, I've and, read and that. Hard, hard work gets you places. Yeah. Hard to do work, uh, it might make you more money in the short term, but it just exhausts you. Yeah. And actually if you're less busy, the hard work is actually easier to do. And yes. so, so actually the right plan might be, I'm going to really do the throat. i are really going to simplify now because I want to get here as quickly as possible. And if I could spend more time just thinking about my writing or my research as a grad student or whatever, just doing that, yep. I'm all the more closer to my image of of being a book writer who lives in Cape Cod or being an academic in a teaching town in a, in a cool college town where I live in an old Victorian house and it's not that expensive and I'm on the campus and whatever, right? Um, so sometimes, yeah, the hard work of getting to the career capital, you need to actually build the right ratio of those things to implement the harmony that itself actually requires you to become less busy. Yes. Might actually be the right way to do that.
1: Yeah. To get really, as you said, simplified, uh, there's a chapter in peak performance called being a minimalist to be a maximalist is how I, how I'd frame it. Yep. So if you really want to optimize in one area and really hone craft, uh, the easy example for me is you want to make an Olympic team, well, for those two to three years in that cycle, you should start planning on saying no to just about everything else in your life, maybe yep. save one or two buckets, and then go there. And if that's your expectation, as you said, it doesn't have to be miserable.
0: Yeah. Okay. So we uh, to answer the question then, are we too busy? A lot of people are. It is a problem. If you feel that way, if it's a persistent problem, it is something you should think about solving. Solving is a little bit more nuanced than quitting your job or starting a podcast or overthrowing the capitalist order. Uh, but it's, we just broke it down. Like there's there's ways to do yeah. it. You, there's some systematic thinking to it. Uh, there's some, I mean, basically you, you need Brad to coach you is the, is the secret. <laughs> <laughs> no, my coaching roster is full right now. But Everyone, I gotta get You your need phone to read number. my next book. Yeah, I, um, his and books all are chaos. like a coach and paper format. That's what I mean to say. And,
1: and I think the other thing back to like the, the higher level to point out, is that I think that, again, these are problems of privilege. And I don't use that word in the political sense. You have privilege, you don't. But I use it very concretely that, by definition, if you have a lot of time to think about this and to worry about how busy you are and how overworked you are, you are likely not falling into the bucket of multiple around minimum wage jobs. Yeah. And societally, to me, that is the more pressing issue Yeah. because that is the stuff that's associated with... um, Poverty, with health, with educational attainment, all these things, and I think that most people have more choice. Like I have very little sympathy for the six hundred thousand dollar attorney that says the money went poof. The money didn't go poof. You spent the money. You made choices to spend the money. You yeah. can make choice. You can make choices to live a different lifestyle, and the money won't go poof. And for all the students that are out there listening, you guys have it the easiest because again, prevention is the best medicine. It is so hard once you are on a path to change. You can change it, but it requires a lot more work. It's a lot more painful. So if you're currently at a juncture where you're at a transition point because of COVID, you're just entering the workforce, um, my biggest thing to walk away with would be really think hard of how are you defining success for life? Don't think about work-life balance, as we said. Think about harmony. So what does a successful work-life harmony or integration look like? And then how can you create that and know that you're not gonna be able to have every single, you might have to take a salary hit or a prestige hit. yeah. Or maybe salary and prestige are super important. You have to take a family hit.
0: But I think those three things I mentioned are also adjustable. So Mm -hmm. you're like, okay, if I can get more autonomy, then I can not need as much location, or if I had the location right, I can just- Yes, you don't need them all. There's different uh, packages, different configurations. Yeah. Oh, and get honest feedback about how to do it. I often, this happens a lot with my listeners. It's very easy to craft your own narrative of now I know what I want. Here's how I want it to work. Mm -hmm. That, you know, here's what, I want this to be what it involves. That I do this thing every day for 20 minutes and then everything changes. Make sure that you have the honest truth. And by the way, the truth might be, oh, I am not going to do that. Okay. So this this is not the right path. I got to find another path to get to this harmony. Because once I get the reality of this path, I realize I'm never going to succeed there. Or if I do, it's brutal in a way like you can't have a family, whatever it is. But don't invent your own story about how you actually uh, acquire the very specific things you think you're going to use to craft the harmony.
1: Yep. And then be values neutral. So there are people that are $1 million a year partners that are very happy with their lives. And there are people that are um, creatives like Cal and I that make trade-offs and we're super happy with our lives. And there are people that work nine to four as accountants doing what I would consider very boring work. But then they get to spend four to 10 with their family, playing golf, doing whatever, not thinking about work. And they're very happy. And I think there's a lot of judgment that happens here. And unless you're harming someone, like what works for you is going to be very separate than what works for me. I would be miserable as that accountant working nine to four. But I know people that work nine to four. And if they heard that I was on a family vacation right now recording this podcast with you, they'd be like, why aren't you out riding your bike? Why are you recording a podcast with Cal? I'd be like, well, it's an interesting fun... What do you mean it's interesting? It's work. Yeah. So there's there's different paths. I think that um, it's also helpful to eliminate the judgment.
0: Yeah, this is great. All right, we, we've solved it. Or you could just replace this all with following your passion. Because then that also will just... You're wired for a particular job and everything will be perfect. Everything will be perfect once you have the job. All right, Brad, well, this is good. I think we, I, we, should, wrap, we should wrap this up for now. But I think this was a good inaugural deep dive a collaborative deep dive, we can call it. Yeah. And I think we solved all the problems. I'll have you back to talk about the new book when it gets closer to coming out, because that'll have all the answers you need. But in in the meantime, this can be the uh, appetizer.
1: Yeah, this was a blast. It's a wonderful way to spend some time on vacation um, because one of my core values is creativity and another one is community. And it's great to be in a creative community with you. So listeners, thanks for tuning in. Um, Hopefully we provided at least a little bit of clarity on this topic um, and, and growth
0: equation HQ. Do I have that right? If you want to,
1: ah, no, dot com is a little platform that houses, um, most of my writing as well as a collaborative partner, Steve
0: Magnus's writing. And they're po- and you can find about the podcast. There. We
1: also have a podcast there. Yeah. And if you are ninety percent Cal Newport, but ten percent not, and you're on Twitter like I am, I'm at B Stallberg, and I try to keep Twitter, um, a sane, more intellectual place. Yeah. So You won't find pictures of my veggie burger there or my deadlifts.
0: Okay, so what's the point? I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks, Brad. All right, bye, Kel. All right, there we go. Our very first of this new format of collaborative deep dives. Hope you liked it. I'm going to try to do some more, mainly just because it's fun for me to have people I know come in here and chat. I'll be back on Monday with a normal full-length episode of the Deep Questions podcast. And until then... As always, stay deep.